Hello, and welcome to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. We believe all women lawyers deserve to be wealthy women lawyers. Our mission is to provide thought-provoking, powerful, and practical information to help you in creating your own sustainable, wealth-generating law firm without overwork or overwhelm so you can live your best life. I'm your host, Davina Frederick, and I'm so excited for you to meet our guest today. So let's get started. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. I'm here today with Merrick Kahn, who's the CEO of Select Select Sales Development. She's also an emotional intelligence expert and a certified professional speaker. She has been uh, in sales for more than 20 years, and she teaches other professionals how to master their sales conversations. And I'm so excited to have her here today because if you are an attorney with your own law practice, well, even if you're not, even if you're working and your job is to bring in business development, if your job is to bring in clients and you're working for another firm, you need to learn how to sell. And I know attorneys, we hate the word sell. We don't want to talk about selling. We don't want to think of our conversations as selling. But just like any other business, unless a sale is made, nothing happens. So that is why we have Merit here today. She's going to tell us a way to to reframe our thoughts on this and also give us some nice tips to take away from it. So welcome, Merit. Well, thank you, Davina. I'm super happy to be here with you. Great. So why don't you start out by telling us, I always love to get a sense of people's sort of journey to where they are now. What, because I always find it fascinating to find out all the different like stops on the way that they made to becoming wherever they are now. Um, so why don't you tell us about your journey to, to sales? Were you always a salesperson? Yes. Uh, I think, you know, it, it's, it's interesting because sometimes people go find themselves in the profession of law because they come from a family of lawyers. And so they're rounded and it's very comfortable and familiar to them. And there's families of generations of doctors. Um, I come from a generation of salespeople, <laughs> generations, wow. multiple. So my grandfather had a used car dealership. So he was like that cliche. My grandmother sold Avon. My mother sold real estate. My dad sold advertising. And so it was really never a question of what's Merritt going to do with her life. It was more <laughs> a question of what's Merritt going to sell. <laughs> so I, awesome. I just grew up around it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that story. And um, I have always said, as a matter of fact, I have two nephews that, as most people who follow me know, who were in college. And one of the things that I have told both of them is that. You need to develop sales skills because if you develop sales skills, you will never go hungry. You will never worry about being able to make money because you can always sell something. And it took me a long time. I did not grow up in that at all. I grew up in a, a family where uh, my parents worked for the government. And so they had the steady paychecks, everything. But as an entrepreneur who's had multiple businesses, I know if we're not selling, we're making money. But the flip side of that, I know if I need money, I just need to come up with something to sell. So tell me about how, what did you do from the, with this idea that you were going to sell and this was something that your family did? What was your first sales position? My first sales, well, if you want to go way, way back, I sold greeting cards door to door. That was my oh, first wow. sales job. I got one of these little greeting card machines for my seventh birthday or something. And I got myself a little briefcase and a little jacket. And I quite literally went door to door and offered my greeting cards because you never want to find yourself in a situation where it's somebody's birthday and you are unprepared. So, <laughs> so I, I crushed it. I just want to say I, I crushed it. I had a very successful business as a, as a young child. Um, Later in life, I sold radio advertising was my first real job out of college. I did very well there. I loved it. I worked really hard. I'm sure many people in your audience, you know, are very used to the long hours and the grind and, and you just do what it takes. But I was excited and I had something to prove. And I didn't think of anything of working so hard. I was definitely not working smart. Um but I definitely worked hard and I became a sales manager very early in my career, probably a little before I was actually ready, if I'm honest about it. And it was in that experience that because I was stretched 
beyond what I thought my current capabilities were, I went out and I got training. And actually, if I really had done some training in preparation for that, my my parents always taught me train for your next job, dress for your next job, be prepared for the opportunity when it knocks. And so that was always my philosophy. And I I learned sales and sales management training. And then fast forward, the radio station that I was um, where I was a manager was being sold. And so my choices were go back into the radio business, put my get the word out and let people know I want another job or, you know, this would be a good time to switch industries. And I looked around and the people that I was doing my sales and sales management training courses with as a participant tapped me on the shoulder and said, you'd be great at this. Like, why don't you sell for us and then train, you know, as you get more of your clients, we'll give you opportunities to train and coach and lead. And I thought, this sounds perfect. And it, it really was. It's been an incredible ride. I've I've been doing the same thing, different iterations since 1998. Love it. Wow. 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 I love that. So when did you start your current company and what was the impetus for that? So, I mean, definitely you could say that I really, I started my own brand back in 1998 and the the name of the company has changed. It's always been me delivering sales, sales management, training, coaching, consulting um, projects. Sometimes I was doing more consulting. Sometimes it was more of this a professional speaking business model. But um, right at the start of the pandemic, so early 2020, I actually took over as a CEO for Select Sales Development. And we spell it S-E-L-L-E-C-T, not because we can't spell select, but because it is about <laughs> selling. Yeah, and, right. uh, <laughs> but our philosophy really is we actually want you to stop selling, right? Selling as in being pushy and aggressive and salesy and nobody likes that. And certainly we won't train people to be like that, but we want you to stop selling. We want you to start getting selected. And so that's kind of the name of the the brand. Um, And that was actually a brand that was started by a dear friend of mine who passed away way too young. Um, But she had had a sales training company and I had a sales training company and we, we shared a very similar philosophy. And there were some things she did better than me and some things I had, you know, more dialed in than her. And so when she passed away and we wanted to keep her legacy alive, we decided to go with her brand. And I merged the best of what she had and the best of what I had. I think she'd be very, very pleased with what That's we've wonderful. ended up with. Yeah. Yeah. What a terrific way to honor somebody's legacy, somebody that you care about is to yes. keep their business going. Um, let's, so let's dive in and talk about selling. I, I would, I would, Put forth, having had many conversations with women law firm owners, lawyers who own their own business, that lawyers don't like the idea of selling. They can't, you know, a lot of lawyers don't easily wrap their mind around the thought that their consultation with a client is a sales conversation. Mm -hmm. I completely disagree because I, if, if that is the part of the business where if you don't get the client signed up, then you're not going to need systems for anything else. If you don't, if you don't get the client signed up, you're not getting that money in to begin with. Um, So tell us a little bit about, you've worked with lawyers before and other professionals. Um, Tell us what your perspective is on a sales conversation for people who sell professional services, particularly if they're selling professional services where they are the ones who are delivering the services, not, these other, you know, people on the team and the, in the corporation or whatever. Yeah. Well, first of all, I haven't met a single attorney who went to law school and all put in all that work and all that study uh, to come out the other end and then think of themselves like a salesperson. <laughs> it's just Hi. like, that just doesn't make any sense. So I've always been in awe of my clients that are professional services providers. they I know that they've all put in a lot of effort and a lot of work to get to the point where you earn the right to have your own business, to share your expertise and to help people with their challenges. Now, it's great to be great at what you do. The, you could be the best attorney on the planet, 
But if you don't understand how to generate business, how to turn those consultations into new clients, then it really doesn't matter that you're the best because the guy down the hall or woman down the hall is going to get the business that frankly you deserve. You might be a better practitioner. So my philosophy is always, how can I help you as the attorney learn to use your expertise to ask the best questions, in, especially in that consult, initial consultation? It's the person who asks the best questions that makes their prospect, prospective client think deeper about the challenge, about the the uh, you know the either the legal you know issues at hand or um, the contract issues, you know all of those things. If you can make your prospective client think at a different level than any of the other people that they might be talking to, you're the one that they are thinking. I I'm comfortable. That one made me think. That attorney made me think deeper. They know something I clearly don't know. I'm going to get the best protection working with that attorney. And so mm-hmm. I think it's helping my clients understand how to use their expertise to ask the best questions. That's really the the secret to a good consultation. So let's dig into that a little bit deeper. Um, one of the pitfalls, I think, um, that I've, I've seen lawyers who are handling con- consultations have is they step into this um, giving legal advice during the consultation. And it, coaches do this too, because you know I've certainly had conversations with a lot of coaches. It, it's something that we just, we we know the answer, right? We went to law school and we studied hard. We know the answer. So when somebody starts asking questions, the instinct is to go in and start answering the questions. And we feel like if we don't answer their questions, they're going to go to somebody else. Tell me what your perspective is on that and maybe some tips to help us. So that, because oftentimes people give free consultations and they're giving free consultations We don't want to get into giving free legal advice and feeling resentful and taken advantage of because somebody is scheduled an appointment with us and all they want is free legal advice. And then they're going to go try to do it themselves or hire somebody else. So how do we not fall prey to that sort of situation? I think the most important thing you can do in that situation is to frame that initial consultation, take the lead, take control, and let that prospective client know how you're going to run this conversation. And so we teach formulas. I I used to teach scripts, you know, this is what to say, say it this way. And that's inauthentic. And, you know, really the, it used to be the old ABCs of selling were always be closing. That's, yeah. that's old news. Don't do that. The new ABCs of selling are authentic business conversations. So to have an authentic business conversation, it's really easier to think in formulas. So the formula I would, I would suggest for, uh, in this case is, we call it plan, P-L-A-N, purpose, logistics, agenda, next steps. So in that exact situation, let's say I'm the attorney and you're my prospective client, I would say, uh, Davina, thank you so much for uh, coming on in today. I'm looking forward to hearing a little bit more about the situation. I understand we're talking about a blah, blah, blah kind of case. Um, the purpose of this conversation is to see if we're a good match to work together. Um, And, you know, in terms of my agenda, I'd like to understand a little bit more about the the details of the case that you want to share with me. I'm sure you have a million questions for me and there's probably some things that I can answer, you know, quickly for you. But the purpose of this is not really to give you all the legal advice. The purpose is to see if through my questions, I can help you think a little bit differently or deeper about your issue. And, and we'll see if we're a good match. Did I leave anything out? Anything else we should do? So it's a little bit of a dialogue and you can say, um, and then at the end of our conversation today, let's just uh, agree that if we aren't a good match, we'll shake hands and part friends. And if we are a good match, I'm, I will introduce you to my colleague who will handle all of the scheduling and, you know, talk about the payment schedules and all of those details. But first and foremost, 
tell me where we're starting from. Talk to me about your case. Right. right. So that might be a little bit wordy, but basically if I broke that down, you could, you could hear purpose, logistics, agenda, next steps. I think I might skip logistics, um, but you always want to confirm how much time you're going to be spending in that consultation. So it doesn't get out of hand. And, you know, it's like, so we have an hour today. Is that what you have? Yes. Great. Okay, great. So our agenda is. So it's not logistic. When we're talking about logistics in this context, it's not explaining to them your entire process for how you handle a case. It's logistics of, we, we only have a half hour today. So do I have your permission to interrupt you? If we, and then you're, you're saying that and you say, once we're done, you know, and if we've decided it's good fit to work together, then I'm going to turn you over to Sally. Sally's going to get you all set up. If not, then, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have some next steps, you know, set up for, you know, we'll go over some next steps for you that you could take. Right. So something like this. And that's the idea of logistics is kind of just explaining to them. It's like when you and I started this call, we go over the logistics of how long are we going to talk? What's how, when, when am I going to start recording? When am I going to stop recording? What, it's all those housekeeping items, yeah. right? Right. Exactly. So, yeah. Um, I think it's I important know. to use a plan pretty much for every conversation, just so that you feel like you've got some more control over it. Right. Everybody's on the yeah. same page. Um, I noticed you have, are you open to in that pillow right there behind you? So why don't you tell us what, what that is about? Cause I know that's a part of your process. So give me an idea of what it means when you say, are you open to and how, how yeah. do you Okay, so I think are you open to are probably the the four magic words that transform sales or really just about any conversation. Think about it this way. Let me ask you this. Um, Would you say that you are an open-minded person? Yes, of course, because no one ever says they're not an open-minded person. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, And do you know people who are not open-minded? Yes, indeed. All right. So there was actually a study done in Pepper by uh, Pepperdine University, and they asked people, "Are you open-minded, more open-minded than the average person?" And ninety-five percent of respondents said yes. So I don't know about you. I mean, I I know you're an attorney, you're a very successful businesswoman, so I know you had some good education <laughs> background. But back when I was in school, ninety five percent of us could not be better than the average. <laughs> Maybe it's <laughs> that. I don't know. Um, and so I feel like when we tap into this idea that all of us want to be identified as somebody who is open minded, then rather than ask somebody. Are you interested in learning about our services? Are you interested in going to this movie? Are you interested in, you know, attending this event? Um, That is easy to say no to because I can be uninterested in something and still be a good person. But if I ask you, are you open to considering this event? Are you open to hearing how a little bit more about how we work? Are you open to trying that movie? It's you have to pause because the if you say you're not open to it, it's about it. It becomes about your identity as opposed to you're you're a little bit more re, uh, removed when it's of interest or disinterest. So when I want to get somebody uh, to be open to hearing about our offers and our solutions, our programs, the possibility that we might work together. I want to first ask them, I want to invite them into that open-minded way of being and thinking. And so I'm going to ask them, um, I don't know if it makes sense for us to do business together, but if you're open to it, let's just have a conversation and see how, see where this takes us. Okay. I mean, like, otherwise I'm not open to it. And then I'm kind of a jerk. So no one's going to say that. And that's why I think the most important thing we can do, the first step to a closed deal is always an open mind. You'll never get anywhere in the conversation until you open their mind to a possibility first. I love that. I also think that we are in one of the things that has changed in marketing uh, and sales in the last decade or so is we live in a much more permission based society. So if we want people to opt into something and get on our email list, we're having, you know, we're asking their permission. 
we're giving them something and we're asking their permission to join our community or our list or whatever, everything that we do is, is around this idea of asking for permission. We've actually created laws around uh, the idea that you can't just un- so, you know, send unsolicited emails to people, right? Yep. Because they have to give their permission. And this is a big issue in the online world and in the social media world right now is all of these companies are collecting data without, you know, we're giving them permission, but we're not giving them permission in a way that we're really aware that we're giving them permission. So that's another thing that I think that is an advantage when you start using, are you open to? It really does, it because you want to have, you always want to feel like everybody is here because they're choosing to be here and have a conversation. And every stage of the conversation, you want people to feel that they're getting to have a choice. And the are you open to really makes it about, you're really acknowledging that the other person has a choice every step of the way in the conversation. So exactly. if at any time they say, you know, I'm not really open to it, you know, <laughs> but then, you know, that's very clear and there's no need to, to continue with that then if they're not open to it. Right. So, and right. that's, that's the sort of idea that, you know, there, I mean, you may be the ju- juiciest, ripest peach in the orchard, but not everybody likes peaches. And so <laughs> when you give that, are you open to that's great. Um, I have a, I had a conversation recently with a woman law firm owner and we were talking about shifting the consultations from uh, her lawyers, from the partners and the associates from her lawyers to a non-attorney, non-lawyer salesperson. And I encourage a lot of my clients to do this as they start getting bigger and bigger, that they really need to have somebody who is not just doing intake, but is actually signing up clients. And she had she was uh, she was struggling to be open to that idea <laughs> um, because she couldn't really understand how a non-attorney salesperson could sell. And one of the things she said to me I thought was very interesting is because I was telling her there were sales formulas because I also teach a sales formula to my clients. And she was saying, I hate being sold to. And so I don't want to sell to people because I hate being sold to. And we had to do some work around sort of reframing her emotions and her mind around that concept of being sold to. So tell me what your thoughts are on being sold to. What's the difference between being sold to and and someone presenting an opportunity? Yeah, I think there's there's phases to the sales process. So there's qualification gates, if you will, right? Um, In fact, I was thinking as you were talking about uh, a client project that I worked on a number of years ago for an engineering manufacturing uh, company that I've worked with for probably more than 15 years. And in this one uh, project we were doing, they they were participating in a very big trade show. They spent tens of thousands of dollars to be part of the show. They had a big giant equipment on their, you know, in their trade show space. And essentially this is a company of engineers. So not known for their people skills, (laughs) you know, this group of people. And so I, I was doing trade show training for them, like helping them sell from the booth. It's a very different kind of very fast paced sales process. So it's completely different model, but What I did was I put on their uniform and I worked the trade show floor with them. And my job as a non-engineer, I'm about as far away from being an engineer as you could possibly go. And my role was to, you know, work the edges of the trade show booth and draw people in. And all I needed to do was qualify them to a certain point. And as soon as they started talking, like I did the small talk, the, the, the get them comfortable, the, you know, give our little elevator pitch about what we do at a very high level, at a high level. And then as soon as they would start getting a little bit in the weeds with me, I would say, that's a fantastic question. And I want to introduce you to Paul. He has been with the company for a really long time and he's the go-to guy on that topic. And then I would just 
hand them off, hand them off, hand them off. Well, they ended up talking to way more people than they ever had at a trade show um, because they never had somebody to pull them in. And I think in your situation with attorneys, I think you want to, you can almost set it up. I mean, you're the, you're the one they want to get to. They have to qualify to get to your time. And so the reframe would be, um, you know, we'd like to invite you in to have a consultation. Here's how things work in our firm. You're going to sit down with me, whoever the sales, you know, account manager, account professional would be. And I'm going to sit down with you, gather some initial information about your case, um, you know, answer some of your, you know, basic questions about how we work in terms of our firm. And then if we're both feeling comfortable and it feels like it makes sense and you'd like to meet Davina, then I'm going to bring her in, you know, we'll schedule our time for a time that she's in the office and then she can come on in and you know, answer some of your more specific questions. And then we can decide together if you decide you're comfortable with her, then, you know, I'll take it from there and, you know, we'll work out all the the details. But I think you've got a really good way to make that understandable for the client, because think about from the client's perspective, I don't want to pay high-priced attorney's fees. You, I don't want to pay your hourly rate to do something that a paralegal can do or you know, a salesperson can do. And you can use that as a benefit to your clients to say, look, our firm, we really, you know, we make sure that our expert attorneys spend the most of their time focused on delivering the value for our clients. And so everything we can do along the way to protect their their time and and make it more affordable for our clients we're going to you know that's why i'm going to sit down and you know if we're not qualified you're not paying attorney's fees for that conversation and i think there's ways to reframe it so that it's a benefit to the prospective client um so that if they do choose you now they're thinking well that's interesting um this is not a place that's trying to rack up billable hours i'm going to get the hours I need with the attorney that I need, but I'm also going to work with this group as a whole. And that way it's going to minimize some of my costs, but I'm going to get the best expertise. And I think you can use that as a real advantage. Yeah. Yeah. I would take it even one step further. I, I do think that there are uh, some attorneys who are kind of wrapping their mind around the idea of a sort of a pre-screening step. So people, uh, they're having, they're putting people in positions to do sort of pre-screening and they're, they are looking for things like, is, does this person have a job and an ability to pay me? Do they have a case of the type that we handle? Do they uh, seem like somebody who's reasonable or uh, is there a lot of, are there a lot of red flags here that might cause them to be a difficult client? So I think you can have somebody who's good at sort of pre-screening those I think you could take it further. And I think this is where a lot of uh, attorneys have a hard time imagining this. But I do know that there are law firms that are doing this. And that is that you could actually get clients signed up with to be a to be a client of the firm before they ever meet with an attorney. In other words, they do not meet with an attorney until they meet for their strategy call. So they are signed up as clients of the firm. You're collecting data from them. They're filling out whatever intake and then scheduling a appointment with an attorney after they've already paid a retainer. And that's a completely different model than most law firms operate on. But I think the bigger you get, the more you need to be pulling people out of those uh, the attorneys out of those consultations because attorneys need to be working on the actual client work. And also that presents it as you're hiring the firm, not the individual, which is where a lot of attorneys get into this idea that, um, well, how do I transition people from thinking they're working with me, the owner, to me passing things off to my team? Because they come in and they want to hire me. If it's Davina Frederick Law, they're going to come in and expect to hire Davina Frederick, no matter that I've got three more attorneys who work for me now. And part of the reason why people struggle in making that transition is because the they're meeting, still meeting with you to do the consultation. And mm-hmm. so they think they've hired you 
And now you're going to have trouble passing it off to your team. And there's ways that we can do language and the conversation to change that if you're still doing it. And I also have a philosophy that I don't think you should train your associates to do sales. I think that the associates, you need to be, your job is to mentor and focus on making them great lawyers, leading, mentoring, that partners are the one who close clients. Um, but I do think you could set up a non-attorney salesperson to actually close particularly some low-hanging fruit. And let me give you an example of that. I had a, I hired an attorney for, uh, I would, uh, one attorney referred me to another attorney. I called the office. They explained how they work. They sent me an agreement. I signed it, sent everything back. And the next person who contacted me was somebody intake to get information from me. And all of this stuff was done before I ever had talk with an attorney. So it's very possible. And I think that piece is really hard for lawyers to wrap their mind around because they feel like the person will not hire a law firm unless they have met with an attorney first. Have you had that? Have you have you seen that with law firms or not? And if so, kind of what are your thoughts? Because in sales in sales conversations, when you're having sales conversations or when somebody on your team is having sales conversations, are you spending that sales conversation time giving advice about sales or are you spending that time asking questions to determine if you're a right fit to work together, which is different? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that there's some amount of information that you can give that, you know, demonstrates your expertise. But again, I think the the person who is talking is the person who is not selling or, or buying, right? Like the person, like the buying happens when I'm listening, not when I'm talking, if I'm the salesperson. And so I, I do think that what you've described is entirely possible. I think that part of what gets you to that place where there's, you know, you don't get to talk to an attorney until you're, you've done your heart, your paperwork, and you are a client of the firm. I think I'm, I'm wondering, and this is just a question for you, is there, does that work in all types of legal categories or would there be certain types of categories? Like in my mind, I'm, and I don't want to put any head trash in, in there. I'm just wondering, is it the same for a family divorce attorney where it seems more emotional or a intellectual property attorney where it seems in my mind a little bit more mechanical? Um, do you see any distinction there? Uh, well, I don't. I think it can work for most. Now, I'm going to say as an attorney, I'm going to I'm also going to say it depends, which is what attorneys say. And also there are exceptions to every rule. So there are rules and there are exceptions. Uh, but most people think that most people, just like most people will tell you that they're open minded. Most people also will tell you that they're an exception to the rule. So they, it won't work for their business. So I think you don't know if it's going to work until you try it. And yeah. And, and, here's, and here's why, because I know you talked about sales formula. So if you are, if you were to um, hire people in your company to sell, to get people signed up for your services, there is a formula, right? There's, there are checklists of things that we need to be asking about, that we, there's a way to phrase, you know, way we phrase our opening, the way we phrase our closing. There's a way that we, move people through a process in a certain order that builds up to the making of the decision. The purpose of the conversation is helping that person make a decision. And also right. you make a decision about whether you're a good fit to work together. So when I have seen this done, usually what happens is the person will, will, will say something, you know, so tell me what, what's going on. What is it that you're, you're needing an attorney for? So they go through and then you ask questions, like you said, you ask questions um, about what, you know, so what, what is it that you're, you're wanting? What's the end result you're wanting? Why are you acting now? What, is something happened that caused you to call us today? Call us now? What is that about? So you're getting that urgency question in there. So what obstacles have prevented you from doing this? Why haven't you done this before? 
And, mm-hmm. you know, so then you're leading them up to really get clarity on, oh, I do need to take action on this thing. And they, and in my opinion, when uh, unlike, let's say, other professions, when when someone is calling an attorney's office, there's no question that they have a problem of some kind, right? Right, or they would not have called. So what you want to do I mean, is like we're not just them. calling you because we right. want to work with more attorneys in our life, <laughs> right? Exactly. So you what? So the goal then is to stop them from dial a lawyer. You know, like you want to stop the process of them dialing and dialing on the next until they. So the person that is able to stop them and say, let's do it. That's, that's the person they hire. The person that says, okay, what is, you know, so tell me what's going on. And, and the big part of that, I think is feeling like they're heard. Like somebody hears me and, and understands the pain and they have the capability of solving the problem. And so maybe a non-attorney salesperson is the best person to tout the services of the lawyers, right? Because you're not saying about that about yourself, you know, I'm awesome. That's why you should hire me. Right. (laughs) Well, you know, and, and you're making me think a little bit deeper about this. I actually, I I really like this idea. The more you're talking, I'm, I'm seeing uh, even a better um, application for it. And, you know, if there are multiple attorneys in the firm, then it makes a lot more sense that, each prospective client is going to meet with the the person in the sales role. And one of the other ways that you could frame that is, look, we have, we have several attorneys in the firm, all have sort of a slightly different style, a different personality, different levels of experience within some of the specifics of this category. And um, the purpose of this conversation is so that I can understand you, not just the details of your case and the nuances of it, but also the way you like to work with with your you know experts that you hire outside consultants and and you know advisors. Um, some of you know we we have attorneys that are very bottom line. We have attorneys that are you know going to tell you a good story. Um, you know, I want to find the right match for not just for your case, but somebody that you're going to work really well with. And so if you're open to it, I'm going to ask you a lot of questions. Some of them are going to be very different than what you might have heard in other law firms you might have talked with. Um, just trust me that we know our process. And at the end of this process, if you're feeling comfortable with, you know, this kind of conversation, then <clears throat> I would invite you to be, you know, a client of the firm and just know what that means is we're going to assign the attorney that's the best fit for you and, and the timeline that you have and they're based on their schedules. And if for some reason that is, you know, not the right fit, we're going to, you know, give you somebody else. So you're really hiring the firm and we're going to make sure we take care of you. And I feel like that could be actually a much like intuitively, as I, as I said, as I was listening to you, I'm like, that's a really good formula. Yeah. Yeah. So I I think there's a lot of possibility there, but I think we have to overcome that two things. One, we have to overcome this idea that the person is coming to hire me, right? Just because your, your name is on the door and it's the shingle, they're coming to hire your law firm. And this is one of the things when I'm working with my clients, I'm always getting them to separate. This is you and this is your business. The way we start out when we hang our shingle, because we're everything, we're the chief cook and bottle washer, you know, we think of, we are our business because we're it, right? But as we start to grow, we need to rethink how, how our sales are made. Even if you're still the one doing the consultations, which a lot of lawyers are, they, they've got to start using different language and use the terms of we, you'll be assigned to, you know, we have a team that will be working on your case. And so that we're getting out of this idea that you are hiring me as an individual. Um, I think that's one of the most um, challenging things. I want to talk a little bit about, uh, I know that you have kind of a framework with sales because I know that when I started doing sales and then getting sales training and things, one of the things that was a, you, you know, a lot of people think it's mindset and there is a lot of, mindset work obviously in sales like moving away from this idea that um i'm if i'm selling you i'm trying to manipulate or trick you versus this idea of 
I'm just offering a solution to your problem and you have the right to choose it or not to choose it. So that's a completely different mindset. I'm just sitting here going, here's one option and I think it's the best option for you or I wouldn't be offering it to you, right? But there's the mindset. But one of the things I found to that really helped me a lot is also language, certain phrases and language and structure to a conversation. I think we underestimate oftentimes how important that language is, especially if you're like, you've been in sales for so long that a lot of the way you say things just is natural to you and you probably don't think about it. Just like lawyers, we underestimate how much we know after practicing for 10, 20 years. And so we're saying, we're like looking at other people going, you don't understand this. I don't understand what's wrong with you. You don't understand this, right? So <laughs> tell us kind of your framework for um, for having good sales conversations that yield results and sort of your approach in teaching it. Our approach we call the open for business framework, right? So <clears throat> being open for business is more than being available to do a transaction. Like we're open from eight to six. It's really, it's more than that. It's a, it's about your mindset and it's about what you do to be in consistent motion so that you're always there when, you know, when it's appropriate to do business. And I really think there's three pieces of this framework that make you successful, certainly in business development, but I could make the case for in anything that you want to be good at. These three elements are important and they are mindset, what you think, mechanics, what you say, motion, what you do. And <clears throat> most of the time, people really want to start with mechanics of selling, right? The nuts and bolts. What do I say to close a deal? What do I say to start a conversation? What do I say about how I do what I do or, or anything like that? And I think, and that's where we talk about the structure, the structure of the sales process. There's certain things, you know, it would be inappropriate to be like, hi, how are you? How much money do you have? Right. It's, there's an order to things, right? You don't just right. jump right. in with the budget question. Um, hi, nice to meet you. Are you the decision maker? Like, don't do that. <laughs> um, so first you want to, you want to set some expectations. You want to qualify or disqualify them. Do they have a pain that you are an appropriate solution for? Uh, do they have, are they willing and able to make an investment, not just of money, but also of time and effort uh, that's appropriate for the way that you typically serve your clients. And are, you know, who are they in the decision making process? Do they use advisors? Do they have a committee? Is there somebody else? Right. So, all of, or what is their decision making process? So, there's a lot of qualifiers. We want to ask good questions about those qualifiers. And then we have the opportunity, maybe it's appropriate, maybe it's already happened to present our solutions, present a proposal, package, a contract, and then <clears throat> and then now we're off to the races. But even then, at that point, now you're talking there's opportunities to uh, expand the the client relationship. You know, we work together in this domain. Do you have uh, issues in this other area of law? Um, do you know other people who would appreciate the way that we work, the way, you know, how our firm works with clients, the kinds of experiences you have? So there's growing business afterwards, which you, you made a comment earlier not to train associates in sales. I do think there is some level, maybe they don't need to be trained in every aspect of the sales process, but certainly questioning skills. Um, setting expectations, asking for referrals and introductions. There are certain mm. pieces of the puzzle I think would be valuable, especially if associates are being groomed for future partnership. Well, you have to bring in new clients to the firm to make partner, and it's going to be helpful for them to learn how to do that without always being at the mercy of outsourcing it to someone else. Uh, but I do think that when you focus on the mechanics of selling, and you feel grounded in your sales language, it, it puts you more in motion. You're more likely to do more of those activities because you feel confident. So you're, you're, it's naturally helping in that piece of the puzzle. And the more you do, the more confidence you have, the more you, you learn, the more you begin to trust yourself, and that shifts your mindset. So if you had any negative 
thoughts or ideas or beliefs about what was possible, you can you can naturally shift that and increase the the opportunities just because you've worked on the language and you're feeling more confident. So I think right. that's a good place to start. Right, right. I do think there's, I do think there's, it is, the mindset is uh, critical because if you feel like you're doing something to someone and something, instead of something for someone, you're going to struggle with this. And so this, and so some of that is the confidence in your ability to provide what it is that they need. And also, uh, I think a lot of, particularly I've seen this with women law firm owners, this sort of, you know, not knowing how to talk about themselves without it seeming unseemly, like you're bragging or whatever. And, and, and how, you know, uh, someone once told me like, it's your job to be visible and to go out and let people know that you're available and you're there with a solution for their problem. And that can be hard in this day and age when a lot of people just don't want to be personally visible. Right. Um, right. But there are a couple of things that you said. One, I just want to touch on the associate thing. So people have an understanding of my, uh, my philosophy behind that. The reason why is I don't think it should be the burden of an associate to bring in business for the firm. Um, I right. think it should be the partner's responsibility to bring in business for the firm. And so that's a philosophy that I have, and that's probably another whole other episode. Um, <laughs> but the thing that I want to make sure that we touch on before we need to wrap up is one of the things that you said was money, the M word, money. And that is the piece where a lot of times, you know, we'll be great right up until the point when somebody says, well, how much is it? And how much is this going to cost me? Or... Uh, and then that's where they start going, what law school did you graduate from? And they start and sort of <laughs> being more, you know, if they're if they're shell shocked about a price, that's when they start raising objections and things like that. How what's a good way for us to um, enter into the piece of the conversation where we tell them how much something is and, you know, sort of next steps or what they get for that or just whatever sort of thought that somebody has when they're sitting there, because I have this, when somebody's sitting across the table from you wanting to hire you as a lawyer, I almost think that no matter what you say, they're going to say it's expensive because legal services, even, even if you're not charging nearly what you should be, it represents a chunk of money. And something that people really probably don't want to be spending money on. It's not like, like I say, it's like, it's not like buying the new car. You can brag. It's like buying the tires. If you can't go <laughs> look at my tires, how beautiful they are. They're white walls. Look how beautiful they are, right? You're like, I just had to spend all this money on tires. And so that's, I think people view legal services a lot of time. I had to hire a lawyer and it's cost me all this money that I don't want to spend on that. So how how is how can we as attorneys or salespeople for attorneys combat that sort of perception or like what do we do in that case? Well, first of all, uh, any number that you say is going to be too much money unless they've had an opportunity to think for themselves the cost involved either financially or emotionally or otherwise uh, for them. So you could say your fees are $10 an hour. And if I don't, if my problem only costs me a dollar, it's too much. Right. But if I'm, I'm trying to think back to the times that I've hired attorneys and, you know, <laughs> uh, there was, there was the blank check case because I was like, take him down. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, that was a very emotional decision, cost me a lot of money, but I was happy to pay that one. Um, you know, I, I feel like it, it's the rule is you, you really don't want to be talking about cost until you understand how much it costs them to have that issue in place. You know, so maybe it's first of all, I think it's good to have some maybe third party stories or analogies you know, before you have that money conversation, it's, you know, you could, you could share the tire story with a prospective client. Like 
I, all right, we're at that point where it probably makes sense for us to talk about, um, you know, an investment in a case like this. And obviously I can't give you an exact figure because who knows what's going to happen in this, right? Like you want to, or maybe you work on a retainer and it's a certain amount every month. There's many different iterations of this. Um, but, you know, of course nobody has a, you know, this is like buying the tires. I mean, you, you can use that whole analogy in a sales conversation and just say, you know, when you think about hiring attorney or when you've hired attorneys in the past, um, you know, what, what was comfortable for you? I mean, you can ask questions to just kind of get a sense of it. Um, I sometimes like to use metaphors. So, you know, there's the, uh, there's the, there's the Cadillac, I don't know, is Cadillac still a good car? There's the, the Lamborghini attorney, there's the Honda and there's Uber, <laughs> you know, like which category would you really, did you, do you imagine you would be in? And some people are going to be like, uh, no, if I don't have a Lamborghini level attorney, then I don't want to play. Right. Like they're about prestige and ego and, you know, they, they want, it would be, they might not hire you if you're too inexpensive. You think you're doing something to help someone by keeping your rates lower, but they feel like they're getting more value when they are paying a higher rate. So who knows? That's part of the qualification process and understanding. I like to ask people questions about when you've hired outside consultants in the past, what were some of the things that you look for in that relationship? And then I listen because now I'm learning what's more important to them. Um, in addition to, you know, the cost, I'm certainly not going to, I mean, I, I know my pricing. I'm not going to gouge somebody just because they said Lamborghini if I'm a Honda, right? I just, I want to understand where they're coming from. Um, so I, I think, yeah, that's, it's always going to be more expensive unless they connect it with something that's personally important to them. Right. So the, in the conversation with them, sort of planting those seeds throughout the conversation of the, the urgency, the value to them, because let's say, let's use the example of a divorce. The divorce is somebody who's, you know, how long have you been married? Well, how long has have the troubles been going on? Well, what's causing you to take action now? Why is that important to you? Well, what is it that you want out of this? Well, I want to make sure that I have my kids, you know, that he doesn't take my kids from me or something of that That's nature, that right? Word. Right. I want him to take the house from me or whatever. So you get some sense. So then you are establishing for them and you're letting them say the thing that it is why this is important for them is, it, you know, is, so you're sort of drawing the picture of, is it worth it, right? To make this, because they have to see that investment you know, in it, I know I've had the reverse conversation with clients before back when I was um, running my practice, uh, I had a, a divorce case and somebody was, you know, he was really, you know, he really wanted, you know, he was hurt and he wanted everything. And I, and I talked with him, I said, listen, we can go after this, but she's offering the house, we can go after a retirement account, but if you, by the time you pay me to take this through trial, you're better off just just stop where you are and take what you got, right? So, so sometimes you can paint a picture for somebody in an, in terms of investment about what it is that they're wanting and what the the comparable you know the comparable investment to that. One of the things that a mentor told me once is uh, after you say the price, after you say the fee or your structure of the fee or however it is you want to do it whether that's a flat fee or we're taking a retainer billing against it is just to shut your mouth and sit because you have plenty of time to process what things cost. And you, you have these conversations all day, every day, but to the person sitting in front of you, if they've never hired an attorney before, or they haven't hired an attorney for something so complex or costly, maybe it's something less expensive they've hired an attorney for, they need a moment to process it and just, absorb it right because sometimes it's just the the shock of you know just a, of a thing period right we know how we know that if we go to buy insurance and then the insurance agent quotes your rate and then you're like 
you got to absorb the shock of that, right? And there's, and we need to process it then and, and make, you know, look at everything, right? So I think that is great advice. I'm sure you probably heard the same thing and said the same thing to people. Like, don't get in and start unraveling everything. Yeah. It, well, I mean, first of all, if you, if you immediately, what I, what I've seen people do is they immediately, you know, you know, this is the price, but we can negotiate or, but we can, we can get creative or, or, you know, but we can sharpen our pencil. Well, basically what you just told them is you can't trust that what I initially say, because then I'm going to, I'm going to modify it. And also I, I just tried to gouge you. And then I just, I, I like felt a little bad. So right. then, like you've <laughs> whatever trust you've built up just gone in that moment. So I like that advice, you know, say the fee. And if that, you know, if you are comfortable in it and you know, you bring that level of value, there's no reason you should feel like backpedaling or negotiating. It's, you know, be, be confident in your fee is, uh, you know, I'm, I remember when I raised my fees the first time ever in my career, I can remember back in the day. And I, I literally had to say into my mirror, like all the cliche things, like, you know, you are worth every penny you charge and more. And, you know, the, I, and I regularly tell my clients, like, as long as the value you get exceeds the investment you make, we should keep working together. And the moment that dynamic changes, we should not be working together anymore. It's as simple as that. So I'm very comfortable in my rates and I'm very comfortable in my clients feeling comfortable with my rates because I know they're going to, you know, if they're not getting the value, we're not working together anymore. Mm -hmm. So that's how I operate. But I also, I do think, you know, say your fee, be quiet. I like the, the idea of let it land, but here's the one thing I would add to that. Sometimes the a perspective clients go to is going to be, oh, I need to think it over. I need to sleep on it. I don't, think people need quite as much time as they ask for. So before they can say something like, I need to sleep on it, if you feel like they need a little moment to process, you can say, you can say the fee, take that pause. And if they, you know, if they say, okay, here we go. Great. You're off to the races. If they say, I just, I need a little bit of time to think about it. I would jump in and say, you know what? I totally appreciate that. I, I've arranged for you to have the conference room for, you know, as long as you need. I actually, I'm going to, I'm going to go finish up some things down the hall. And you, I thought maybe you might appreciate thinking about it here. That way, if you did have a question, I'm right there. I'm down. I'm available. The rest of the firm is available to you. To take, take the time you need. So most people I would imagine have never been put in that situation. They're like, Oh, now some people are going to, some people are just because you've laid it out, they're going to be like, okay, <laughs> like, all right. Um, I guess I'll think about it now. Um, and then other people are going to go, no, I'm going to go home. I'm going to sleep on it. They were going to do that anyway. Fine. Let them, let them do their process. But sometimes they don't have a process. And if we invite them into ours, they might just go along for the ride. I love that. I've never heard that idea before. That's great. Now, a lot of us are conducting meetings on Zoom right now with prospective clients. So what do we do in that case? Say, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to go step away and get some coffee and you think about it, maybe write down some questions and I'll be back in just a few minutes and I'll go over any questions that you have that you need to think about Perfect. or whatever, right? So something where they yeah. have a moment to think about. It's just creating that. But I love that, like showing them there's another way to think about it or to process something. Um, uh, as you, you and I talked about this before, and uh, oftentimes when people say, I'm going to think about it, we know that we're the only ones who are going to be thinking about it. They're not really going to think about it. So I do think for your own peace of mind, it is better just to hear that as a no and just put it, say, well, you know, I'm going to let that go. Right. Because I know when I first started doing that, when I first started, you know, in my law practice, with, I would, you know, I'd be sitting there, oh, they're going to call me back, they're going to come back, or whatever, and they didn't, and it caused me a lot of grief, and so since then, I've learned how to just go, well, you know, that I, I was, I sort of look at it a little bit like the universe is protecting me from something I don't know. That's the way that I sort of deal with it, because I have had people say they need to think about it, and then later, I see something on social media where they 
had some thing in their life that has blown up their life. And I go, oh, thank goodness they weren't a client of mine because that has <laughs> happened. And so the universe is protecting me. So I have a little bit of a philosophy that sort of let, let, and also that just is like, everybody gets a choice and a decision. And I know I've had situations where I've talked to people and after I thought about it, I realized it wasn't the right thing for me to do in a moment. And that had I done it, it not would not have been good, right? And so sometimes that is the case with people yeah. and we just need to let them go and um, not take it personally. Go to the four agreements, right. read the four agreements and go read that over again. Do not take this personally. Do not take this personally, <laughs> which is hard to And I think one way to do that, you mentioned this. Well, I think one way to do that too is remembering that we are not our services. We are not our business. Just go back to that. You, it, Even though you're the one having the conversation, you're selling services, you are the one going to be the provider for the services. Initially, maybe, maybe it's you, you're still solo, but separating that out, and we're talking about the value of our services when we raise our fees. We're raising the fee on the value of our services, not on our personal value. And if we right. can separate that in our minds and say, my value, my worth is not question, not questionable. It is. I am worthy just for the fact that I'm here alive on this planet and I have something to contribute. Right. So our worth is separate from services. And that I think that for me helped me sort of separate out when I started thinking this is what my services are worth. And if my business services are worth even taking a step further. This is the worth of my business, the services my business provides, even if I'm a provider. Then that separates that out for me, and I don't take it as personally if people say, you know, this isn't a good fit for me right now, right? Um, yeah. yeah. Well, so, and can I just piggyback on one thing that you said? Because I think that was it was brilliant to, you know, hear that, think it over as a no. When you do that, you might as well try something a little like a little bit more, I don't know, I'll use the word assertive, not aggressive, but assertive. Like, like I said, you know, why did you take a moment? I'll be back soon. Like, if that doesn't feel comfortable to you, then don't try that with a, you know, a really big top pros, you know, prospective client, try that with somebody that you think is not going to be a good match. You know, when you think somebody's not really a good match for you, Go for all of the sales mechanics of selling that you can throw all those tough questions in there, you know, take it to the next level because they're just practice. They're just practice. Yeah. What have you got to lose at that point? If you already know that this person can say no to you. So you could, right. you could then start going into other, you know, sorts of uh, more challenging questions. I know there's this one uh, person that I studied years ago and what she does is she starts asking them to tell her why they would be a good, why she should take them on as a client. And I thought that was a, that's a brilliant sort of move because then you're, you're flipping that with people and it causes them to think about that. This is really well, cause really what you're wanting is a relationship here. If you're wanting a transactional sort of business, um, but I think as I just did a podcast episode on this, in fact, about, if you want long-term relationships where people are referring you or coming back to you, then you really need to focus on the actual relationship. Is this a person I want to have a relationship with a, a business professional relationship, obviously, but is this somebody that, right. you know, I want to help and they want. And so I think you take your cues from that in terms of what you're wanting in the relationship. We could probably talk another hour. I we've already gone over time. I kept you over time. Uh, I love discussing this because it's so fascinating to me, sort of what you're really dealing with sort of human psyche and how we make decisions uh, about what we do and what we don't do. And so I find it fascinating. I thank you so much for being here. I always love our conversations. Um, tell us how people can find out more about your training and what you do. I know you offer some different things. So where can they go to, to connect with you and find out about it? Um, the best place would certainly be my website. So that's MeritCon.com, M-E-R-I-T-K-A-H-N. If you put MeritCon.com forward slash podcast, um, you'll get to a page that 
uh, has has a, a form to fill out. You can get a download a little bit more, learn about the open for business framework. We also have on that page what we call our select sales SWAT on steroids, which is a really great free tool for you to be able to you know, identify that area in your business where you can, you know, where there's already a strength, but where you have the biggest opportunity for improvement. And we don't do a boilerplate, you know, uh, quick answer. We do a very thoughtful, 100% customized feedback on that. So we'll do a short little video saying, here's what we learned about your report. And if you're open to talking with us after that, great. Um, But you'll always find a let's talk button on the page. So book time on my schedule if I could be of any help. Excellent. Thank you so much, Mayor, for being here. I really enjoyed our conversation as usual. And uh, I'll be talking to you soon. Thanks. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the Wealthy Woman Lawyer podcast. If you have, we invite you to leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform. The more five-star reviews we have, the more women law firm owners will be able to positively impact. Your thoughts and opinions are so important to us. If you are a woman law firm owner who wants to scale your law firm to a million dollars or more in gross annual revenue and do it in a way that's sustainable and feels good to you, then we invite you to join us in the Wealthy Woman Lawyer League. The League is a community of highly intelligent, goal-oriented, and driven women law firm owners who are excited to support one another on their journeys to becoming wealthy women lawyers. We'll be sharing so much in the league in the coming year, including the exclusive million-dollar law firm framework that until now, I've only shared with my private one-to-one clients. For more information and to join us, go now to www.wealthywomanlawyer.com slash league. That's www.wealthywomanlawyer.com slash league. League is spelled L-E-A-G-U-E. We look forward to seeing you soon in the league.